Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. And as you're finding your way there to Romans chapter 8, Coach Shug, or Shug Jordan at Auburn University asked his former linebacker, Mike Collin, who was in playing for the Miami Dolphins, if, uh, if he would help his alma mater do some recruiting. And Mike said, sure, Coach. What kind of player are we looking for? And the coach said, well, Mike, you know, there's that fellow that you knock him down and he just stays down. And Mike said, we don't want him, do we, Coach? He said, that, that's right. We don't want him. Then he said, there's that fellow, you knock him down and he gets back up and you knock him down again and he stays down. And Mike said, well, we don't want him either, do we, coach? He said, no, Mike, we don't want him either. But Mike, there's that guy that you knock him down and he gets back up and you knock him down and he gets back up and you knock him down again and he gets back up again. And Mike says, that's the one that we want, coach. He says, no, Mike, that's not the one we want. Mike, I need you to understand. I want you to find a guy who's knocking everybody down. That's who we want, right? And so this morning on this Day of Champions, what I want to do is I'm going to lean into this theme. And again, I'm excited about what God's going to do today. I'm super excited about all of the families that are going to be in the uh, coming services. Uh, this past Friday night, I was able to spend uh, some time. My boys play uh, uh, Harlem Pop Warner football. And so for the last several, several years, uh, most every night of the week, I'm there along the uh, fence and uh, hanging out in shorts and flip-flops and a baseball cap uh, with the guys. And I'm just going down uh, the line and inviting folks to be a part today. And I'm praying that for me, myself, that my friends uh, out in Harlem will show up today and that they'll be one of those uh, who's never heard the gospel, who will hear the gospel for the, for the first time and respond and be saved today. But I want to lean into today's theme and talk for a few minutes here in the early service today about the champion who is on your side. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, uh, you know this. Salvation is something that changes us from the inside out, right? It is something that touches us deeply, it changes us completely, and it causes us to constantly be amazed at the grace and the mercy of God. One man described it this way. He said, one day God searched through the lowest, darkest, most sinful hell holes of this world to find the worst sinner he could find, and I was it. He scraped me off of the bottom of the garbage can of humanity, took me to Calvary, and showed me what his son had done for sinners just like me. I couldn't believe what he had done for me and what he offered me. But that day, I placed my faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone to save me. And the greatest of all miracles took place. God forgave my sin and saved my soul from the hell that I totally deserved. How many of you all can identify with that testimony? Can I see your hands? I identify. Now, you know, most likely, most likely, if you have a salvation testimony, you might not have been a drug addict. Maybe you were. Maybe you weren't. You might not have been a wife abuser or a child molester or, or even a mass murderer, but you're, if you're saved now, you know that we were all sinners and we desperately needed and found a Savior and with Him so very much more. That's what Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, when he asked this question. What shall we say then to these things? What then shall we say to these things? It's like Paul is just taking a net and he's casting this huge net. Anybody ever cast a net when you're at the, at the beach? Can I see your hand? Anybody go out there and cast a net so you know what I'm talking about? And so you'll take that net and it's like Paul has cast this humongous net and he's just drawing in all of these amazing salvation truths that he's been talking about so far in this letter. And he started off by making this great grand declaration how that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes 
And then he begins to take us back and remind us of what it was like before we were saved and what Jesus did for us and in us. For example, for the, the, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And then as a result of all that, Paul asked the question in our text today, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? After all that God's done for us, right? After all that God has done in us, after as far as God has gone to save us, Paul asked, why then would he leave us helpless and hopeless in this world? And the answer is, he wouldn't. It's God's will that we win in this life. And just to make sure, Paul says, he has given us a champion. He has put a champion on our side just to make sure. You know, I guess every generation of churches and Christians has the songs uh, that kind of become the, the church songs of that generation. You just heard one that for a certain generation, a younger generation, that's going to be one of the songs that they remember and love singing for the rest of their lives. And uh, one of the songs from my early childhood uh, was called Champion of Love, and we sang it everywhere. Anybody, anybody raised in a church where you sang the choir normally would sing Champion of Love? Can I see your hands? Remember? Remember that song? Uh, the words were, he is higher than the highest, greater than the great. No one can ever take his crown away. He's more mighty than the mightiest. He reigns from above. He's the all-time undisputed, undefeated champion of love. I, I get it. It's cheesy 80s and 90s stuff, but I'm just telling you there's a lot of truth there. And for my generation, it spoke to us. And the Bible says here that he is on your side. He is for you. And if he is for you, Paul asked, who then can be against you? And so what I want to do real quickly here uh, this morning is I want to just look at four little words there in verse 31. If you'll just cast your eyes there on verse 31, Paul says there, God is for us. Let, let me make it a little bit pers more personal for you. God is for you. As a matter of fact, as you look at those four little words, it all depends on where you put the emphasis on kind of what it means, right? For example, try it this way. God is for you. Or, or, or you could do it this way. God is for you. Or, or you could put it this way. God is for you. Or you could put it this way. God is for you. It all depends on where you put the emphasis. And Paul says that there is nothing and nobody in time or eternity that can ever change that 
fact. And so let's just look at this, this little verse here, and these, really these, first, these four little words uh, here at the 830 service this morning, and to see how you can be really confident and be encouraged today that you have a champion who is always on your side. And here's the very first thing that I want you to think about, and that is the person who is on your side, and he's God. That's what Paul says. He's God. As a matter of fact, he's not some sort of impersonal force. He's not some sort of spiritual presence. He's not an inner light, but rather he is the eternal almighty, unchanging God of the Bible. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He is Adonai. He is Jesus. And I think a, a lot of times we forget just who he is and what all that he's done. And, and really the Bible tells us, right, that he is the one who created everything. I was thinking about the other day, Isaiah the prophet puts it this way in Isaiah 40, beginning in verse number 12. He says there, that he measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. He measured heaven with a span. He calculated the dust of the earth in a measure. He weighed out the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. He numbers the stars and he calls them all by name. And he is the one who is always on your side and he is committed to his purpose and plan for your life. He is the one who created everything. He's also the one who redeemed you. Look what Paul says in verse number 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And so what Paul's saying here is that God loved us so much that he gave up his only son, his precious son, his sinless son, Jesus, for us. And most likely what Paul's doing here is Paul is going back to Genesis chapter 22 where Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son Isaac uh, there on that, that altar. You, you remember the story, right? God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to go somewhere. And he said, where are we going? Well, I'll tell you when you get there. And so he takes off with, with uh, his boy and his, and his guys and they get there to the mountain and, uh, and God says, all right, we're here. And, uh, and so they get there and God told him to sacrifice. And so they get there and he, he, the neat thing about the story is, is Abraham turns to his men and he says, hey, Isaac, and I are going to go up on the, on the mountain and we will return to you. We will return to you. And so they go up on this side of the mountain and I love the way one writer put it as Abraham and Isaac are going up on the other, on one side of the mountain, the substitutes uh, coming up on the other side of the mountain. They get up there, they build the altar. Isaac looks at his dad and says, daddy, we have the wood, we have the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, don't worry about it, son. God's going to provide. Well, yeah, so Abraham sticks Isaac on, on the altar and he's just about to plunge in his knife to sacrifice his only son. And look what the Bible says in Genesis 22 verse 12. And he said, that's God, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word that's rendered withheld in verse 12 is the same word that's translated spare in Romans 8. Just like Abraham didn't withhold his only son from God, God did not withhold his only son from us. But unlike Abraham, there was no substitute that was offered for Jesus. The ram died in Isaac's place, but Jesus died in our place. That's why the Bible calls him and refers to him. He is our substitute. And so think about this. And really that's what Paul's getting at. If God was willing to do that for us, if, if the Father was willing to offer up his only son, Jesus, for us, Paul then asked, 
don't you think that he would then give us anything and everything that we could ever possibly need? And the answer is yes. Absolutely. God is for you. The second thing that I want you to think about is the perspective of the one who's on your side, and that's found in that second little word, is. Now, what, is the, what does the word is mean? Well, for one thing, it's present tense. That means that it's right now, at this very moment. It's not that God will be for us if. It's not that God wants to be for us but. No, it means that right now, at this very moment, no matter what you've done or where you've been, God is for you. If you're here this morning and you're lost, you're not a Christian, God is long-suffering towards you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't hate you. He loves you. That's John 3, 16. God's not happy that you're on your way to hell. He gave his own and only son so that you wouldn't have to go there. He is the greatest enemy that sin will ever know, but he's also the greatest greatest friend your soul will ever have. God, Dr. Rogers used to put it this way. He said, God put a cross between you and hell, and if you go to hell, you'll have to go over, crawl over the cross of Christ. If you're here this morning and you're lost, God is for you. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, if you're here this morning and you're saved, what does the Bible say? The Bible says then God is working out right now at this very moment all things together for your good. And today you can say, God is for me. And tomorrow you can say, God is for me. Every day from now to the end of time, you can know that God is for you. There's the person, there's the perspective. And then number three, there's the purpose of the one who is on your side. For. Now, what does that word for mean? What does it mean to be for someone? Look here. I'm for Tennessee. And I'm just waiting till November. Is that what I heard today? Is it November? Matter of fact, I'm trying to find me a pair of orange and white uh, pants to wear on that next Sunday. Can I get an amen right there? Now look right here. If a miracle of miracles happens and somehow at Neyland, Georgia goes down, y'all better show up. I've had to show up for the last umpteen years, right? <laughs> All right. So y'all better be here when, it, when and if we win. And, but what does it mean to be for someone? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means that you're interested in how things go and work out in their life. That's what it means. It means that they have your support. You've got their back. You're on their side. They're what you think about and who you help. God is for you. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no qualifications or fine print. God is for you when we fail him. God is for us when we're confused. God is for us when we're not growing like we should or doing what we ought. When we can measure our spiritual growth with a yardstick and when we can measure our spiritual growth with a micrometer, God is for us. He is supporting us. He's backing us. He's cheering us on. He's watching and interested in our struggles and our challenges. God is for you. There is the person. That's God. There is the perspective. That's the word is. There is the purpose. That is found in the word for. And then lastly, there is the people of the one who is on your side, and that is us. Don't you love it? 
that God doesn't keep his best stuff for some select elect group of people. He said it's for us. That means that it's all of us as his people. That means that it's each one of us as individuals. A lot of times we, we, get, the, we get the idea, right? A lot of times we get the idea that God's for all the other folks. God's for them, not us. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God is for you. So much that he gave his son to die for you. John puts it this way. He says, and he, Jesus, is a propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. God is for you. Let me, let me personalize it for you this morning. Here, here's what I would say if I were you this morning. God is for me. I think you ought to say that. God is for me. It's not just that he's for his church. It's not just that he's for his saints. He's for you. And you need to claim that as God's promise to you and for you. God's for me. He's the champion on my side. And since that is true, who can defeat me? What Paul says, who can defeat me? What do I have to be afraid of? Is there anything too big or bad for my God to hand, and, handle? And, of course, the answer is a resounding no. Nothing is too hard for my God. I'm going to let you out a little bit early this morning, but let me just tell you this right here. When I was growing up, <clears throat> I went to a unique high school. I don't know how they do it today. There were 125 in my graduating class, and we played 4A football and went to the state championships about every year. Can I get a wow? Yeah, say it backwards, wow. <laughs> now, I didn't play football. I played tennis, you can, you can tell. And, uh, <laughs> but I remember being down there at the football stadium, which is just right across the highway from First Baptist Milan. And we'd be down there on Friday nights underneath the lights, whooping up on Trenton or Mar Mar well, whatever, Martin or somebody like that. And um, the cheerleaders would get down there on the sidelines. And they, they had all kinds of these chants and cheers that they would do. And uh, one of the ones I remember that they would do was this. I'm not, no, don't worry, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I saw you. No, no. <laughs> Not going to do it. Yeah, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> you know, if I'd have thought this out, I'd have brought some purple and white pom-poms up here, but anyway. And so I grew up with the Milan Bulldogs. And on Friday nights, the cheerleaders would get down there on the sidelines, and they had this cheer that they would do. V-I-C-T-O-R-Y, Bulldogs is our battle cry. V-I-C-T. And we're not going to have you do that, okay? Look right here. As a Christian, victory is your battle cry. 
That should be the shout of every single Christian here this morning. Because you always have a champion on your side. Amen?